This is the Cabinet's HR Culture Podcast, hosted by Daniela Young. Join Daniela as she has great conversations with people on the importance of culture and leadership in organizational behavior. You will hear the great, the bad, and the ugly as she talks to a huge variety of guests in different fields. Are you looking for ways to improve your culture? Then this is the podcast for you. You will gain great insights from these great conversations. The Cabinet's HR Podcast is brought to you by Cabinet's HR. At Cabinet's HR, we deliver HR to companies with 49 or fewer people by automating the HR process. We believe that you don't need a full-time HR person to receive full-time HR expertise. Come to CabinetsHR.com to see how Cabinet's HR can take care of your HR so you can focus on building your company and taking care of your customers. Remember to be great every day. Hello, and welcome to Cabinet's HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cabinet's. Our guest today is Sarah Morgan. Sarah, are you ready to be great today? I'm ready. Sarah Morgan is a practicing HR professional with nearly 20 years experience in the light industrial and retail industries. She is currently the Chief Excellence Officer of Buzzer Rooney LLC, where she provides consulting and coaching surrounding organizational culture, comprehensive health and total wellness benefits, and executive leadership. Sarah still also serves as an active HR practitioner as a senior director of HR for our international home security dealer headquartered outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. In 2011, Sarah began blogging under the pen name Buzz Rooney, a spin on her childhood nickname. Then in 2013, she made the decision to retire the nickname and cartoon avatar, and she began to write and speak on her real name. Her blog, The Buzz on HR, is now eight years old and has over 10,000 subscribers. She has also amassed more than 20,000 followers across various social media platforms. In 2017, Sarah created the hashtag Black Blogs Matter Challenge, a 28-day writing challenge about the unique hurdles faced by African Americans and women in the workplace. The challenge has continued as a hashtag movement that keeps driving conversation and sharing about diversity, inclusion, equity, fairness and belonging in the workplace in the world. In, 19, in 2019, Sarah added hashtag Black Pods Matter to her hashtag movement arsenal to expand the conversation to include the growing areas of podcasting. Sarah has been named to HR Blogger Network's Top 40 Under 40, Clear Company's 50 Unstoppable Women in HR Tech, HR Executive's Top 100 HR Tech Influencers, and the Expert HR UK list of Top Global HR Voices. Sarah, you are one busy lady doing a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, so, I listen to that and I'm like, who is that girl? <laughs> she man, sounds like fun. So, so it sounds like you, you found a way to get 48 hours out of every 24 hours of the day. You know, I, no, I don't. I'm not, I'm not even going to perpetrate that lie. No, I don't. Everything is just about choice, Jason. It's really, you know, right now I'm choosing to to do this with you. And when this is over, I'm going to switch computers and be on a call of open enrollment in my day job and I'll do that for an hour and then I have to take my daughter to gymnastics like you know and then after that I'm fully committed to watching the Grey's Anatomy season finale like everything is just schedule and choice so that's the only way I can get it all done you bring up a good point you know in the old days people talk about work-life balance I think now it's just life you know, it's just life. It is. It's, it, it is. Okay. I got this time 
and what can I do with it? It can't, the work-life balance, I think, was always a myth. And I think trying to balance the two really drove people a little bit nutty um, because you're always feeling like one is competing for your attention. And there's this constant feeling of guilt that comes um, because you're one place, but you feel like you should possibly be another or doing something more or doing something different. And what I've learned particularly in the last few years as my business on the side has started to take off is that it really is all about schedule and choice. And sometimes my decision to do, you know, I just have to make a decision to do all of it and not be apologetic about whatever it is I'm doing in that moment. So my calendar is just full of to do's and my choice to do this means that I can't do that. And I just go forward and I don't apologize for it. And I, at this point, I think that's pretty much the only way to do it successfully because trying to balance the two, I think it just naturally sets us in a mindset of feeling like something is suffering. Sir, can you take a little bit, talk a little bit about the role of uh, HR with change management? Oh, um, HR is critical to change management in organizations because we are so responsible for the policies, we're responsible, and we're responsible for the people. And you can't change if the, the policies don't match where it is that you're trying to go and the people are not following what it is that you say you know, what you say is next. So you have to have strong human resources presence and you have to listen to your human resources leaders and the advice and guidance that they're giving you about the best way to approach these changes. Um, some things can happen really rapidly and some things have to, you know, take more finesse. And so as HR leaders, we have to be change ready and ready to lead in that aspect. We have to understand how change works and what impact that that has on people so that we can guide the organization to make decisions and communicate in ways that are gonna be for everyone's you know, higher good and best self as, as we get to whatever thing is coming next. Whenever I think about change, man, I think about the meme that was on Facebook a while ago where the guy's talking about the employees. We need to make change. Are you ready for change? Everyone says, yes. Are you ready to change? Oh, no, not me. No, no, not me. No, not me. no one wants to personally change. Like, and, and that's pretty natural. In our relationships, we tend to, you know, look at the outward person first. Like, oh, if so-and-so would just do this, then everything would be okay. We never think it's our responsibility to our own perspectives, our own approach. But at the end of the day, you know, your organization can really only ask you to buy in and move in the direction that you're going. Um, you know, in my day job, my we went through a merger last year. And when our new executive team came to visit our office for the first time, our new CFO said something that I thought was so poignant. And he said, um, I want to know that I have your buy-in and your support. And I want you not to just cooperate, 
but also to collaborate because I don't know what I don't know. And, and, you, and in a lot of these cases, you will know the things that I don't know. So I need you to tell me where the pitfalls are going to be. And it was great that this person chose that moment to be vulnerable and to say, I know, I'm, I, know I don't know everything. I know I'm not going to get all of this stuff. However, I know that you do. You know, you know things that I don't know. I know things that you don't know. And together, if we work together, we can make this successful. And I love that approach. Change is scary. It's different. And the more that you accept that vulnerability and expose yourself and talk about it openly, not in a like negative venting, backbiting kind of way, but in just a acknowledgement that this is different. We don't 100% know what we're doing. We don't 100% know if this is going to work, but we've got this plan. We think it's going to work and we're just going to keep proceeding in this direction. And you just allow space for those vulnerable moments. Things tend to go a lot better than when people pretend like there are all of these assurances that just don't exist. Sarah, from your opinion, why do you think a lot of change management initiatives fail? It's because employees, you know, dig in the hills and refuse to change? Is it because the company doesn't communicate it properly or is it something totally different? I think it boils down to planning and communication. So, um, you know, it's, it's how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? And what we do is we try to eat the whole thing at once instead of recognizing that these sorts of things happen more in phases than in large chunks. Um, so what's really important when you're dealing with change management is understanding the kind of theory of change that you're going, that people are immediately going to go into resistance, that you're going to see things that resemble the five stages of grief because a change is, is, is a bit of a death of the way that something used to be. It should lead to the, the birth of something new, but people are still going to grieve, you know, the old ways and the old processes. And you also have to recognize that people, that same like bell curve that you see in anything, you're going to have 10% of the people who are going to be gung-ho about this change and go all out from it from the very beginning, you're going to have 10% of the people that you will drag kicking and screaming the entire way. And then you've got everybody else in the middle who you've just to consistently shift um, as time goes on. Start with the ones who are the most willing and just keep inviting more people into it. Um, and as people buy in, you know, bring them along. And those who are not bought in, be honest with them and say, you know, you're not, I can tell you're not bought into this and I can't have that. You know, I've got to have somebody who's bought in and all in on what it is that we're trying to do here. So until you get there, I'm going to sit you over here. And I think that momentum, you know, the change starts to look fun. That momentum will do that. But if you're not if you haven't planned that out, if you haven't anticipated that, if you haven't communicated to people what that's going to look like, you're not giving them the opportunity to troubleshoot through those difficult moments, you're, you're going to have a hard time. So having a, a plan, understanding that that change takes time and communicating consistently throughout 
honestly and candidly um, is, is to me is the key. Sarah, you do a great job of putting yourself out there on social media. Why is it important for us as HR Thank professionals you. to be on social media? Um, well, for me, social media has been a wonderful networking tool. I, despite the fact that I blog and I speak and I do all of these kind of public figure kind of things, I am like hella introverted. <laughs> like talking to people makes me super anxious, um, large crowds. So networking events and things like that make me super anxious. Social media allows me to dip my toe into, you know, interactions with large crowds of people in a way that still allows me kind of the space of safeguards. So that was the thing that, um, that, that drew me into it. But once I got there, I realized that there was so much good stuff being shared and so many great people that I got to meet, become friends with, partner with on, you know, projects and different kinds of things that if I had just stayed in my one little corner of and never tried it, I never would have encountered that. I mean, you and I met on Twitter, you know what I'm saying? Like if I, in, we, we follow each other on Twitter. I had commented on a prior episode of the podcast. Then you reached out to me on LinkedIn. We started emailing and boom, here we are. I don't know that in any other way that that could have happened. So it's such a great opportunity for expanding your knowledge and your professional network. I don't understand why any human resources professional wouldn't want to do it. The other thing I think is really important to remember is that your employees are on Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat, Instagram, all those other social media platforms too. And they're using it. Sometimes they're talking about your company. Sometimes they're talking about other things that can be at times, you know, controversial and salacious. If you are like a stuffy HR person who doesn't ever post, who keeps all of their profiles on lockdown, so no, there's no model for them to see what appropriate sharing and appropriate um, posting, you know, looks like. So with the exception of Facebook, all of my profiles are public at this point. Um, I have Facebook pages for like my blog and my business, but my Facebook page where I post that, you know, that's really more where I interact with my family and I post pictures of my kids and stuff like that. That's not necessarily something I want to make public. There's still parts of your lives that you, that need to be just yours. Right. But my Instagram, my LinkedIn, my Twitter, anybody can look and see and follow what's going on with me there. And my team follows me, the folks that I work with day to day, my coworkers follow me from, you know, all over the country. Some, some coworkers and, and other employees at the company who I've never met in person because we're in 42 states. I've never met them in person, but I know them through Instagram or I know them through Twitter. But they see me, you know, the HR lady posting and talking about all of the things that I talk about responsibly <laughs> 5% of the time. And um, so they know 
what that looks like and they know that they can do it too. And I think that that's really important. important. Social media is not going anywhere. It's just going to continue to get bigger. And if we're not modeling good behavior and we're not in those spaces to know how they're used and what's going on, then we're putting ourselves at a real disadvantage for how we reach people and lead people as HR professionals. And I just think, you know, social media gives you such an advantage, like everyone changes their jobs. Mm-hmm. So you change your job and you're competing with someone else that's nothing on social media. I think they can go with you, somebody on social media, because they, they know what you stand for and they know your brand versus someone who like is like total silence. You know, they know what you stand for. Yeah, I think that, that sometimes that works for you and sometimes that works against you. Because if you, like myself, um, I can at times can be very outspoken surrounding issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion in a way that I would imagine puts, um, that can be off-putting for people and someone who wants to hire me as employee because I think you know contractor and vendor world is a little bit different but someone who wants to hire me as their employee might look at that and go "Ooh, I don't know if I want so I don't know a hundred percent if that has has worked (laughs) to my advantage as far as that goes I mean I you know writing with the black box matter challenge like when I start talking about white privilege is so fragile and um, those sorts of really controversial Um, make America separate again, (laughs) like just talking about why um, some of the like really hard hitting and and underbelly stuff and and some of the uglier sides of diversity and inclusion, that's not necessarily something a lot of employers want to touch. I've embraced that though, because if I'm going to work in an environment as an employee, I want to be able to show up as authentically and whole as they will allow me to. And if they don't agree that privilege exists, if they don't agree that privilege is fragile, if they don't think that pay should be transparent and equitable, like if organizations don't feel those things, that's not going to be a place where I'm going to be able to show up and be whole and authentic. So at this point in my career, 20, 20 years in and figuring out, you know, what I, I'm more about, like what I want my legacy to be than earnings and, you know, all of those things that you think about titles and all those things you think about in the earlier parts of your career, so I'm all right with that. Like, I'm all right with someone giving me a pass because um, they don't necessarily like the things that I say on social media or post about on Instagram. You see, I would argue that's still a good thing because this disqualifying themselves from you. I don't think that's a good mm-hmm. thing. I think ultimately it is. It can be hard. And I've, I've watched friends of mine and I've experienced that myself where I'm like, is something like you, you, you know that you have these qualifications. Nothing's wrong with me. Nothing's wrong with this person. And I'm, I'm like, no, this is the thing like that your, your public profile, your brands um, is going to either draw people in or push people out. And at the end of the day, we're all just trying to find like our people. So if people themselves from that I agree with you ultimately that's a good thing but it can be hard um when you're trying to make a career transition and you can't find a home you know that can be difficult yes so Sarah this next thing this is my personal opinion so there's people like yourself Jasmine Wilkes Steve Brown Ben Eubanks 
General Rodriguez, CC Clark, you know, like trying to make HR better, expand it, all that kind of stuff. But then there's some newer people out there who just seem like they don't want to do anything to improve HR and they're stagnating. Mm-hmm. Why, why do so, I think it's like maybe first for you, there's like 10, I'll call them stagnators. Why are so many HR people just like satisfied the status quo? Because it's hard, because change is hard. Um, and like, I, I'll use myself as an example. Um, when I, I jokingly say this, but when work gets tough and I feel overwhelmed with the decisions that have to be made with the difficulty of a project, with the conflict within a group or whatever, right? You know what I do? Data entry. Why? Because I ain't got to think about it. I don't have to worry about it. It's simple. It's so transactional. It, when I'm finished with it, it's perfect. It's done. Like those sorts of, so we, we hold on to the transaction because it's comfortable. Even though HR people talk about we need to be more strategic, we need to be more people focused, people are complicated, strategy is hard, Pro- main, implementing programming, developing innovative programs, rolling that out, maintaining it, that's hard mind, mind consuming work when I can just push the button, check the box, you know, that type of stuff that is comfortable. So we want, we want the comfort. The other piece of it, and, and I'll just to be really real, is um, our ideologies are messed up. We, we have these, we're still very command and control in terms of how we work, and, and HR gets just as much sucked into that because we're a part of, you know, the matrix of of corporate America as much as anybody else is, right? And so it's still very command and control. It's still very white, male, heterosexual, Christian-dominated. Fighting against that system is hard. And a lot of us either don't know how to do it or we don't even realize that we're a part of the system perpetuating that so we can't even get out of our own way to try it because we're in our own privilege we're in our own heads we haven't done you know that kind of anti-learning work that's necessary to wake yourself up and realize that we're not doing as good a job of of making people feel safe and a sense of belonging in our work communities as we could be. And so I think it's both of those things. I think we're scared. Like we talk about being strategic, but strategy is hard and scary. So we run back to the transactional things. And then I also think that there is a lot, there's still a lot of um, just lack of, of, for lack for lack of a better word, within um, HR people to understand how systems of oppression and marginalization creep themselves into our policies, and we just go into work every day and perpetuate the same stuff that we see outside. Like we don't swipe our badges and stop being a supremacist. It, do, it doesn't. It doesn't work. We don't swipe our badges and give our privileges up. We bring all of that into the building with us and um 
human resources people, a lot of us just haven't done the work. We don't recognize that. It's a lot of people, you see it on Twitter and, and on LinkedIn. It's a lot of us out here arguing about whether or not privilege even exists in 2019. I see HR people posting about how women aren't paid equitably because we have children and get off the career track. We're still talking about that stuff. And it's 2019, like those are real things. So I think it's, some of it is, is being afraid of the strategy and, and holding on to the transaction. And some of it is just ignorance. So Sarah, follow-up question. I read one of your blogs that you did where you talked about, and I, I agree with you, like you, you'll tell an HR person, what are the numbers for the analytics? And, and they were like, I'm not finance. I, I don't do numbers. And, and I'm like, yes, you do. You're supposed to do numbers. Why do so many mm-hmm. HR people feel like refuse to do analytics, metrics, numbers? I just don't get that. Um, fear, I think. Like, and then, so there's a couple things. One, in a lot of organizations, the human resources person is not, for lack of a better word, classically trained, right? They're not someone, and I'm not saying degrees are the be-all, end-all, but I do think that there is the education in, in your field of, in your profession matters. And there are a lot of people who just get tossed into HR. You're, you're at a small possibly startup company, and I'm not saying startup in, in the tech sense, I'm just saying somebody started a business and, and you come in as the admin person to kind of help with kind of back office types of things. And then the next thing you know, you're, you become the HR person. And that's true, you know, in a lot of organizations. Um, and so now you're dealing with people's payroll, you're dealing with their health benefits, you're dealing with their need for time off from work and leave for personal issues, and you you don't even know what the FMLA stands for. You don't even know what the minimum wage is in your state because you're, you've not been classically trained in those areas, and your organization may or may not have, have made you go out and get that learning. So now... You know, I just got tossed into this. I didn't ask for this life. You know, Plymouth Rock landed on me, you know, and now here I am doing this work and now I got to do reports too. I got to do high level metrics. You want me to tell you turnover? You want me to tell you retention and attrition and what? Like, and and I, I can't even program a a formula in Excel and you want me to do high level reporting. So a lot of times I, I think that plays a part. Um, I think that human resources technology in a lot of spaces is still not intuitive enough um, for the needs of your everyday HR person. So I think that plays a part. Um, there's a lot of tech out there that still can't, from a dashboard perspective or from, you know, an ease of reporting perspective, give you a turnover report, a retention report, a nutrition report, a time to fill report on recruiting. I've seen human resources, HRIS systems that can't even give you an EEO1 report filled out 
it's 2019. Like, how? How are you out here in the streets selling technology to people that won't even make that doesn't even make their lives easier to do the bare minimum simple things um, surrounding, you know, the work that they do. So there are companies out there that are still hand counting, you know, the number of people in order to fill out an EEO1 report. That's madness. And if I have to do that, I can't get that from my system. I'm having to pull two reports, pivot, and and what's the other thing that they do? Um, you got to do a pivot table. You've got to do macros in order to make it work. Like, are you kidding? Like, I can't imagine that. So yeah, we automatically want to kick that kind of stuff over to finance because the finance people generally are classically trained. They get the Excel training. You can't really get too far into finance without some level of additional education, even if it's just an Excel class. And we're not giving that to human resources professionals. So we get overwhelmed and we reject it. And we run back to the transactional stuff. Like, I can't give you this report, but I can check this box. And, you know, I can approve this thing. And, it, and we just keep simplifying it. And HR falls farther and farther behind the business curve. Sir, why is it important for people to keep on networking and doing a job search, even though they have a job right now? Oh, um, your network is your next opportunity. The people that you know are the people who are going to get you to the next place that you want to go. You know, if I, what's the, if you show me, you know, your network, I show you your net worth. Like, there's all those kinds of like little catchy phrases that people say, but it's true. Like, who you know matters. And so it's really important for you to cultivate relationships and not in the, I need a job, hook me up <laughs> kind of way, right? Not in that kind of way. Like the thing that I've learned most and come to appreciate about networking, because I didn't like it. I didn't like networking for a long time. Because again, highly introverted person. I have a bit of social anxiety. The idea of walking up to a stranger, shaking their hand, telling them about myself in a way to get them to want to engage with me seems like otherworldly and terrifying, right? So I'm like, no, I, I can't, I like, I can't do that. But what I can do is start a conversation and find out what it is that you do and find out what it is that I do. And what are the things that you're interested in when you're not working? So you can connect. And then let's just build a professional friendship. And when I started to look at networking that way, and not from a what can I get um, type of perspective that I've got to know people so that I can call somebody up when I need a job or a reference or whatever the case may be. When I stopped looking at it as the hookup and started looking at it as a way to expand my social circle and, and the people who I know and, and influence me and can share and pour into me. Like when I started to look at it from that perspective, everything changed. And so I really encourage people to just look at networking as an opportunity to make professional friendships and that will help you 
move your career forward and create opportunities. And I think when you look at it that way and not so not so transactional, not so much what can I get, um, you're going to enjoy that experience so much more. And it's going to be way more impactful than if you're just collecting business cards and LinkedIn connections like they're Pokemon. Like that's not the way. I've never heard I've never heard that analogy before about like that collecting links and connects like Pokemon cards. That's a good one. Yes. It's like you are you're about you're my Pikachu. Like, no, I'm not a you know, like no, that's not what this is. It's really about connection and friendship. So Sarah, why do so few HR people look to startups, whether it's a tech startup or just a brand new business for opportunities? Um, I don't know. I think that those businesses are are ripe grounds, right? Like what, what more fertile soil could there be for an HR um, practitioner than a star, than a company getting their start? Like that's the, those are the ones that need strong HR people. Um, I think there may be a perception that they don't have money to pay or that they're going to be resistant to policy but the truth of the matter is everybody's resistant to policy people policy like it doesn't matter the way that we have in in the vast majority structured business is not for the people it's for the product it's for the profit right not for the people so we have entire government agencies that had to be created rules, regulations, laws that had to be created to stop organizations from abusing and working people to death, literal death, you know? And then you take, so now we've got to have somebody in charge of that. So then you take, you make this this human resources personnel, it's gone through like um, umpteen iterations of who's responsible for this function. And not only do you so that, so we want to take advantage of people, but we can't. So somebody's got to be in charge of making sure that we don't, right? And then let's put all the women in that role because we listen to them. So they're absolutely the ones. To, it's, it's nonsense. So HR is going to be hard no matter where it is that you're doing it. It's women-dominated, handling the parts of the business that the vast majority of the business wants to just stuff in a corner and put a lid on top of it and pretend like it doesn't exist. It's the areas of business where doesn't really think there's ROI. Like, you know, it's just all these kinds of negative thoughts. And, and still today, a lot of businesses, despite all the talk we have about modernizing the way that we look at human capital, the, the old regime still persists. And so I can see how um, larger companies, because they have more money and resources, I can see how those companies, and they tend to be more bureaucratic and rule following. So I can see how that would be sexier to your average HR professional, because I'm, the, the, the amount of foolishness and pushback <laughs> that I'm going to get from a larger, more traditional organization versus a small um, startup, you know, mom and pop type of company is probably going to be minimal. But I, I just think that that is such a ripe breeding ground for good HR and the future of work, right? Because we're such, we're, we're shifting into this 
entrepreneurial, creative gig type of economy in the world right now. And small business all to mid-sized business is is the thing. And those organizations are being started in a lot of instances by people who are leaning out of the corporate structure. So who's more open to this idea of good HR and, and good people practice than startups and small businesses? Um, as long as everybody's hearts and minds are in the right place and they've done some of that, you know, anti-supremacy um, work that we talked about before, I think it's a ripe place for human resources to have some good headway. So that's a great, to me, that's a great place to look. Sarah, let's suppose that you're, in, you, Sarah Morgan, on the job market, and there's four companies going after you, trying to recruit you. What do those companies have to offer you for you to be intrigued by the offer? What What are you looking for? Um, so salary matters, right? We all work for money. Um, but just as much as the money itself matters, I would want to know that that pay equity exists for people in similar jobs as me and for people in every job. So is the organization transparent and equitable in terms of how they compensate people? Are they offering comprehensive health wellness, health and wellness benefits? That would be crucial. Um, are they offering flexible work scheduling? That would be crucial. Um, we talked about like my life is pretty raucous and I need to know that I'm not going to feel like my job is in jeopardy or that I'm going to be looked down upon by my coworkers if I need to leave to take my kids to gymnastics or if I need to take, you know, if I need to come in late because I am a caregiver for my grandmother who has doctor's appointments because she's blind and can't drive herself, you know, I need to know that I'm not going to be judged and, and, mistreated because of that so again don't show that showing up as your whole self thing um so that definitely matters and we talked about pay equity we talked about comprehensive benefits um yeah and i would and i would guess i would say leave would be the other would be the flip side of that i you know i want to see that and last but not diversity and inclusion would matter if I, I can't show up as the only woman or the only person of color anymore. I'm not, I'm not about that first and only life <laughs> um, anymore. Cause that it, it's, again, it's 2019. We need to, we should be beyond that. And if your organization is, is progressive enough to do all these other things and diversity would, would be there too. Sarah, can you share your social media links so people can reach out to you? Yes, I am pretty much everywhere as the buzz on HR. So my my blog site is the buzz on HR, Twitter, Instagram, link, um, not LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, I'm the buzz on HR. And then on LinkedIn, I am Sarah K. Morgan. So you'll be able to find me and connect with me there. But if you go to my website, us on HR, all the links are there, and you can just click and find me from that point forward. 
And for our listeners, we'll have the links to our social media on our show notes. And our show notes are at www.cabinetshhrblog.com. Also, be sure to subscribe and review the Cabinet HR podcast on iTunes or Amazon Alexa. Sarah, we came to the end of our talk. Can you provide us some wisdom or advice on any subject you want to talk about? Um, any wisdom or advice or any subject I want to talk about? I think... I I feel like I've talked a lot. So I would just say as we head into the back half of 2019, take a look as a manager, as a leader, as a human resources professional uh, at, at what you're doing and how you're showing up and really do some hard work to make sure that you yourself and whatever areas you lead are safe spaces for people. If there was one piece of advice that I could give people one last nugget, like that would be it. If you're a manager who employees hide what's going on in their life from you or are afraid to tell you when they make a mistake or to share, you know, when they're not quite themselves, you are not a safe space. And, and you are the person in power you are the person in authority and it's your responsibility to make that space safe for that individual to show up as their whole authentic self, even when that whole authentic self is fractured and broken. And so if there was one last piece of advice that I would give on the back half of this as we wrap up this decade, reflect on that and do, and if you find that you are that person who doesn't get the information who people don't feel safe with you figure out how to do the work to make yourself a safe space and especially if you're in hr or you're in some kind of leadership or management position people entrust their livelihoods and lives to you every single day and you owe it to them to to show up and make them feel safe sarah thank you for that sarah thank you for your time today you're one busy person doing a lot of great you got a lot of great things thank you to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. Remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cabinet HR Podcast. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and TikTok at Cabinet HR. Also check out our weekly live streams at the Cabinet HR Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Periscope, where we focus each week on an HR topic important for small business. These are every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and last around three minutes. To join our weekly HR email newsletter list, send us an email to jasonkavnis at kavnishr.com. Thank you, and remember to be great every day.